Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome on the West Coast at 11 a.m., and welcome on the East Coast at 2 p.m. for our global radio program, Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. I'm very excited about this interview. Um, Our guest actually is behind a movie that was released recently, and the stars of the movie are up for awards. And my guest today is Cheryl T. Cohen Green, and her book is An Intimate Life, Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Surrogate Partner. And we're talking today about her story, and the movie that came out is called The Sessions. It was out in October of 12, 2012, directed by Ben Lewin, starring John Hawks and Helen Hunt and William Macy. And actually, Helen Hunt is up for an Oscar for this movie for 2013, and John Hawks was nominated for a Golden Globe for his portrayal. So it, it, it got a lot of um, it got a lot of play, and it's a very powerful movie and a true story. It's based on the poignantly optimistic autobiographical writings of California-based journalist and poet Mark O'Brien, who was played by John Hawks. The sessions tells the story of a man confined to an iron lung who was determined at the age of 38 to lose his virginity. With the help of his therapist and the guidance of his priest, he sets out to hire a surrogate partner, who is played by Helen Hunt, but the real person is Cheryl Cohen-Green, who is with me on the phone today. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you, Patricia. Yeah, um, powerful movie. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I, I will tell you before I ask you questions that I think what affected me the most was to see the real love in this movie. And, and I'm talking about unconditional love between human beings, not, yeah. not just sexual love, that there was real love and connection transmitted that really helped John to grow emotionally and I think also helped you as portrayed by Helen Hunt to grow and added a dimension to your life as well. Yes, you're right, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, before I met Mark O'Brien, I had worked with a few people who were disabled but not as profoundly disabled. I mean, Mark was paralyzed from the neck down, 
But as he says in the movie, it doesn't mean that he couldn't feel, like a lot of people with paralysis don't feel certain parts of their body. Um, but he could feel everything. But he was fragile. I'd never worked with anybody who weighed 70 pounds and was five, four seven. So, uh, and who he was as a person and his, his unstoppable, uh, spirit. He was just an amazing person. He had his ups and his downs and he was angry and he was happy and, you know, he expressed everything. But he, he was funny and, and, his, and when you see the movie, you're seeing Mark O'Brien. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, I was at the opening of the movie, well, it was shown at the Mill Valley Film Festival, and uh, Peter Coyote was sitting behind me, and he got up and he said, this movie is not about sex. He says, it's about intimacy. Yes, And that was so true. Yes, it is. And, and, you know, something, I want to talk a little bit about your background, but I think one of the things that I'm seeing missing today is Mm -hmm. the intimate part. I mean, sex is everywhere. I mean, so much so that it's overwhelming us. But what I'm not seeing is that combined with intimacy. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. I'm asked that question a lot. What do people do to be better lovers? I say be with somebody that you care about. You don't have to be in love, but you've got to be like them and respect them. And your communication is what makes a good experience, whether you're having sex or not, really good communication. And, you know, so many people look at me with a blank stare, like, what do you mean? (laughs) well it is clear and and i you know we watch it on television it's everywhere it's in all the commercials and very blatant but without the intimacy mm-hmm. cheryl i want to read i want to tell our audience about your background yes cheryl t cohen green has been in private clinical practice as a surrogate partner and consultant in human sexuality since 1973 long time She was trained in the Masters and Johnson modality and was on the training staff of San Francisco Sex Information for 19 years. Cohen Green is a certified sex educator and clinical sexologist, and in 2004, she earned her Doctorate of Human Sexuality, which is DHS, from the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco. Cheryl is currently the vice president of IPSA, the International Professional Surrogates Association. She was one of the founders of the Bay Area Surrogates, and she's a frequent media guest. She's been interviewed by Larry King. She's been interviewed on the National Geographic Channel, the We Channel, CNN, among others. So, Cheryl, I want to ask you about these titles. I want to know what what does it consist of to earn a doctorate in human sexuality? What does that mean? Wow. Well, so many things. I mean, we went, I studied sexual anthropology. I studied, uh, well, one of the things that was fun, but actually in the long run was, you know, sad because I, I had to watch a hundred hours of pornography and I had to document all that the people were doing, every, who was on top, who was on the bottom, what was happening, and the directors and the producers. And I, I've lost most of my interest in watching anything erotic. Um, it just, it's, all you know it bores me at this point um i had i did a project for my uh my um, final project for the doctorate and that was i videoed and i went down to los angeles and wherever the original surrogates that were still alive were i interviewed every one of them and i documented it and i have it on um, we were going to we're 
still talking, Ben Lewin's daughter and I, about putting it in a, an actual documentary form for it to be shown someday because it's archival information that's going to be lost unless something is done with so it. So these are surrogates like yourself? Yes. Yes, these are surrogates who were originally surrogates probably in the very, very beginning. Some of them were around when I started, and some of them were around just a year before, let's say. I started pretty much at the beginning, although in St. Louis years ago, Masters and Johnson started this this profession. There would be couples coming in to them for help, but then there were single men coming in, and then later there were single women. Um, surrogate yes. pot, Male pot, surrogates are another piece of the the whole process. We we started working with male surrogates probably around the same time that I was uh, working. They were bringing let, let uh, me male ask you surrogates a question. In. Let me ask you about the surrogate. I may have a million questions here, but I, let me ask you about the surrogates. Um, in the surrogate situation, yes. Uh, when when what is the difference? And I know everyone's asking this question. What yeah. is the real difference between being a sexual surrogate, and being a prostitute? Well, the difference is many things, but it's, it's, it's um, what your intention is. The goal of when you're working with, let's, my friend Stephen came up with this years ago, and he said, um, you're, when you go to see a prostitute, it's like going to a restaurant. You look at the menu that you uh, order what you'd like, and they prepare it for you, hoping you'll love it, and you'll come back, and you'll refer friends. When you go to see a surrogate, it's like going to cooking school. You see the recipe, you get the ingredients, you make the dish, and then you go out into the world and you share it. You don't keep coming back. And so education is a huge piece, too. I have to educate my clients the way I was educated when I, one of the pieces of my training to do, become my doctorate in human sexuality, have my doctorate and also my clinical sexology certificate, was to learn how many judgments we have and how much misinformation we have. So my teachings uh, in the process are about where people got their attitudes, how wrong many of the attitudes are because it's based on information that's hearsay rather than reality, and then getting a person to understand that they're unique in who they are. And so it's a gradual increase of that kind of intimacy that takes them so, makes them feel better, being stronger in who they are, so they can go out into the world and have a whole different experience of sexuality than so they Cheryl, can be with. So, Cheryl, here's my big question. Is yeah. mo- in, in your work uh, you know, clinically, are yeah. most of the issues from our mental, emotional standpoint, or is it a physical issue or both in most cases? In most cases, it's both. When you say physical, it's manifesting itself through not being able to function, either not having um, losing erections, not getting them at all with a partner, having rapid ejaculation, delayed ejaculation. And then it could be somebody that's coming in who's had radical prostate surgery, although they're doing less of those. They're much better at those now. People have had heart attacks and are on medication that, that inhibit them from being able to use things like Viagra, Cialis, whatever those medications. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a wide range. A lot of it has to do with their attitudes, their mental, their, what they believe, and, and that could be from their family, from religion, from you know, peers having lousy sex education. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a wide range. Am I disabled? But when I see disabled clients, I'm talking about people who have been physically disabled from birth 
or like somebody with spinal bifida, uh, yeah. cerebral palsy, or somebody who acquired a disability. Um, and that's only about 10% of the population of the people that I work with. And who are the others? Are they folks that are just in marriages or relationships where they're having difficulty and want you to help? How does that work? Well, I've, some of them are in relationships and their partners have said that, you know, I'm tired of this, go get fixed, which is definitely not what the therapist and I would much prefer that I wasn't even brought into the picture that the couple come because that's the primary issue is the relationship has to be looked at. But if the partner, the male partner says, I want to find out if I'm all right, right at this point I feel broken, then I will work with them, the therapist and I will work with them, and that's one population. Then I have single men who come to me who haven't been able to be in relationships, have had very bad luck in relationships, or they haven't had sex or had very little sex, and they really don't want to be seen as awkward and clumsy, and they want to get accurate information. And then I work with a group of people who have lack of desire, people who have, um, you know, been in, in relationships, uh, oh, pedophiles, people who work, therapists who work with pedophiles, and then often they're trying to put them through a program. They've been, mostly been in jail for a, a while. Then they want to, the therapist is a piece of their re, their recuperation or their retraining, and we want to see whether they can be aroused by being with an adult woman. But they go through the same process that right, so everybody it, goes through. But it's always referred by a therapist. Always referred by a therapist, and I never. Then the therapist stays in the process. It's the therapist, the client, and myself that we work as a team together. Now, if you work with a couple, let's say a couple is having a problem. Yes. Is the other person in the room with you and the other person or not? You mean if a couple has a problem, does do they both come together to see yes. me, or do you mean the therapist is in, is the therapist in the no, room? No, no. Are you in the room with both parties when you're working with one of them? Oh well, most often I'm, um, they need communication skills tr- you know, training, and the therapist has worked with them on that. And some, and then I might work with them if the therapist thinks that would be a better idea. And then, and then it's touching. The, the, there is a person in the couple. Could be both people. Could be one person who isn't listening, and the person who's trying to be heard gives up and is frustrated and angry. And, of course, the therapist has seen them on that, but then I will do the hands-on teaching of how to do sensual touch. And it depends on how comfortable they are. If they're not comfortable being undressed, I'm definitely not going to push it. I will show them how to do it with a bare arm, you know, um, their face, their heads. But I give them the idea, the putting the idea in their head that you touch for your own pleasure. And the person who's receiving has the right to give you feedback in a gentle way. No scolding, no yelling, you know, teaching them how to tame down some of the communication that they've developed. So mm-hmm. it's it's a wonderful process. I wish I worked with more couples. I don't. Mostly I'm dealing with the person who's designated as having the problem. You go get fixed, which isn't mm-hmm. okay. I mean, I will work with them, but we know, and we talk about that with the client. You know you're going back into your relationship. The same dynamic is sitting there waiting for you, and that, that and the person has said already, I want to see what I can do. And I, Cheryl, I, I, you know, let's, let's, fast, let's fast forward. So you've worked with yeah. the therapist. The therapist has worked with the client. She's yeah. brought you in. You've worked with the client on a yeah. sexual basis to help them really understand and to help increase the touch in their lives what results come of this? What are the positive results? What are the life-changing results? What do you hear as a result of this? 
I wish people would, people say to me when they're leaving, often they say this, I wish I had learned this when I was much younger. I wish I'd had this information. It would have saved so many of my relationships. It would have been, I, you know, I just wouldn't have had all the angst and the anger at myself and the shame. And, and it, it really is a, a, a life-changing experience. I mean, people say, yeah, right, you get undressed and you have sex. It's going to be a life-changing experience right there. It's not about that. It really is. And I, I think sex is fabulous. But it's not fabulous if you're confused, if you don't right. understand the importance of, of taking it slower, learning from each other. And that's what we do. I mean, if you went to an orthopedic, and you had a broken arm, you would, and then it was mending, they'd send you probably into some physical therapy. And that's what happens. I mean, it's basically that I become the physical therapist in this interaction. I understand. Yeah. yeah. It's, an, it's an amazing. What have, how has your life changed? What has this brought to your life? It's brought a, a huge amount of satisfaction, for sure, because I came from, if, you know, when you read my book, you know my background. I was raised in Massachusetts, Salem, Massachusetts, went through parochial school from 5 to almost 14. And I walked through my life after, through that, my early years and into my early adult years with shame and guilt. So what it's brought to me, and once I made these changes, and I definitely use therapists, off and on all for many years, and I still see therapy as a marvelous tool for my, in my own life. But my clients and I, I share who I am with the clients. I explain what I've gone through and how I see the changes have affected me is that I can pass it on and I can continue to feel better about myself. I'm 68 now, and I really have, uh, you know, since I probably was about 50, finally it took me about that long to finally just say, oh, the heck with it, you know. I'm not going to be anybody but who I am, and that's good enough. Who I am, what I know, and I stopped worrying about whether my clients were going to get it or not. A therapist once said to me, Cheryl, you can't help everybody. Some people are invested in their issue, mm-hmm. and that's Cheryl, it. Cheryl, why do you think there's so many problems around sex? Well, why? Because I think we live in a culture that just treats people who are sexual poorly. We don't give accurate information. Parents still say stupid things to their kids. You know, like that, you're too young for that. When a child asks a question, you don't have to inundate them with too much information. You just need to acknowledge that they're asking that question and they should be treated with respect when you give them an answer. You know, most of us get negative information, whether we know it or not, when we pre- we're pre-verbal. I mean, if a parent call, people call me sometimes and say, what do I do about little Jimmy? I said, what do you mean? Oh, he's touching himself. I said, how old is he? She said, this woman said to me, he's 11 months old. I said, little Jimmy is in his first year of life. He's exploring his body. He will continue to explore his body unless you tamper with it. What you need to learn is to tell him where it's okay to do it. But most parents don't feel comfortable with explaining and acknowledging children's curiosity and their self-discovery. There's so much shame that our parents still feel that they, mm-hmm. they don't mean to, but they pass it on to their children. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see my job is to help clean that up. But it's mm-hmm. hard when a person's reached adulthood and they've carried that guilt around with them and the embarrassment. It's, yeah. it's really difficult. Yeah. Well, don't you think also that sex is very much part of communication? So that it, oh, it's, it, the way it's done in this culture, it's lousy communication. 
Right. You know, if we look around us, the way it's twisted and transformed, I look at the thing that pops into my head all the time is when I've seen news pieces about girls down in Florida on spring breaks running around, you know, getting smashed and taking off, you know, drunk and taking off their tops and, you know, just, I, it, it would be okay if you wanted to do that with somebody one to one, but in front of the whole beach. Uh, I remember when I decided, I mean, I know maybe people will say to me, gee, you're very uh, conservative. Well, I am. I mean, I think you should respect yourself. And I think because of the, the, the media and the culture we're living in, we expose kids very early to lots of sexual information. You know, ta- ta- what do they call toddlers and tiaras? I can't even watch that show. That's like yeah. child abuse. Mm-hmm. I, it really is terribly, terrible yeah. messaging for little girls. And we keep doing it. So what what do you like think? Like that culture is the problem. What do you think? Um, what's healthy? What do you think we should be doing? And in our relationships, you know, not just in, with parenting, but you know, in our relationships, how should we be talking to each other so that we can have sexual intimacy and love? Well, I think that first of all, when I'm with my clients, we kind of role play that. You know, I teach them how to how to pay attention to what I'm telling them. Do just hold each other and just do a. I do sensual touch in the session, usually in the first session, if the client's ready for, for it. We get the nudity out of the way. They get to learn that you can be naked. You don't have to have an erection. You're not going to do anything other than. And then the hardest thing for them is to, in anybody really, is to stay present in your body while something's mm-hmm. happening instead of jumping back into the past mm-hmm. or the future, and having them breathe and notice how tense they are yeah. and I show them how to do that when they're in bed not that they have to do a formal massage but lying side by side looking at each other kissing each other gently stroking the side of a person's body telling a woman when you find something about her that you really is a turn on to you just saying it I love the way you have beautiful eyes you have beautiful hair and a woman you know when she likes a, a, her partner and she likes the way his body feels oh look share that information Tell your partner that you don't expect that you're going to know her body. You're going to explore her for yourself. And if there's anything she doesn't like, let you know and help you learn her about her. Be, you know, yeah. this is so. This it's is it's very similar. You know, when you when I think about massage or I think about yoga or I think yeah. about any of these sensual kinds of practices, yeah. there's a lot of that in here. And also, the other thing I want to mention is tantric. Tantra sex. I was just going to say, we do an exercise where we face each other, and we do deep breaths, and we have a, I will touch my client's face and their shoulders and their arms. You know, we're in a position so that we're facing with our legs over each other's and leaning forward, one's pre- one person's up against the pillows. And it's just, you know, I want to know. In the movie, The Sessions, you know, when Helen starts touching him the first time and she touches his hair and she touches his face. Well, I did that over his entire body. They didn't have time to show everything we did. But it was about getting feedback, letting letting the other person know. And that way, you know this person. You don't touch them assuming they like what somebody else did. You're acknowledging their specialness. And in, fact, in, fact, in fact, there's something in your book that I read, and you'll have to refresh my memory because I have a little jumbled. But it w- yeah. there was a story about how you were working with uh, one of the, of the partners in a couple, and yeah. you did something with, I think, the spouse that mm-hmm. the wife didn't like. But, it, but it, in other words, it was the exact same thing, but it worked with you and didn't work with the partner. And there was yeah. a reason for that. 
Well, you know, that's the reason is that she didn't like what I liked. And I'm constantly telling clients, I'm one woman. Some women will like this. I would always recommend to my clients, when you touch a person's body, start off gently. You don't want to tickle. I'll show them how to use the hand flat in long, slow strokes and encourage them to let you know right away. Don't let them tolerate. You know, you tell them you don't want you. I don't want you to tolerate anything. There's no right or wrong here. I'm just exploring. And when somebody's touching your face or if the man's going to touch a woman's breast, don't start squeezing nipples because somebody else liked it. Be gentle and ask their partner to please let you know if she likes it or wants something different. And people say, oh, that's too much communication. It all should be spontaneous. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know, it doesn't work that way. There are women out there who aren't speaking up and they're tolerating and they're thinking, okay, it'll be over in a minute or two. But that doesn't, in, that doesn't increase the intimacy and the closeness. It just keeps the man from not knowing. And then but, the man's got to be willing to hear what his partner tells him. Well, if she's doing it gently. Right, and sometimes the person really would like it, but it's maybe a perfume or something that they've said or just something. If they just changed it up a little bit, it would be yeah. okay. Well, what about breath? I remember before I became a surrogate, and I, you know, when I was much younger, I had this wonderful guy. His breath was so bad, I did not know what to say to him, and so I, I just didn't. I, when he called, I was always busy, and he finally got the message. Because something as simple as saying that, something as simple as saying, you know, your fingernails hurting. You know, uh, some women will tolerate having the, a man touch their vulva or go into their vagina with their fingers, and they're not, they've got, you know, rough nails. And once you start creating a, back, you know, a host bacteria for bacteria, if you scratch the inside of the vagina where a woman can't feel much. So I'm always instructing my clients, when this is how you touch a woman and you open, ask her to please share if there's something she knows that she'd like different. And, and I've, in the past, I remember one experience I had. I don't know whether I wrote it in the book or not. I was with a man, and we were being intimate, and I was touching my own nipple because, you know, he was doing what he was busy, and I was, have, I was feeling really good. And he pulled my hand away, suddenly noticed I had my hand there, pulled it away and said, no, no, I'll do that. And I stopped, and I said, wait a minute, you're quite busy right now. Take it as a compliment that I'm this turned on, that I, I'm doing this in front of you. You know, but we had this discussion, and he was so convinced that th- that was a sign that I thought he was inadequate. Interesting. Yeah, because that's what we're taught. That's what we're taught. Yeah. Cheryl, this yeah. is amazing. I would love to go on, and we're going to have to close. But what what's your message for our listeners today about the movie, The Sessions, about your life and your work, an intimate life, which I really suggest people go out and purchase. It's an intimate life, and you can get it on Amazon.com, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of right. local bookstores have it, too. Okay. What's uh- your message? My message is to, for people to be gentle, more kind with each other, respect each other. If you're going to be intimate, it doesn't mean that you have to walk down the aisle together, but it would be nice if you were like the person and you respected them. And that's what I think people need both ways. Men who have to respect the women that they've chosen to share this intimacy with, and women the same thing, and respect themselves. And I hope when they read the book they'll get a little bit more of an idea of what I mean. Yeah, and we have a couple minutes. And if people like different frequencies, like the man might want to be with the person every day and the woman may only want to be with the person once a week. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, that happens a lot. 
And then I think that the man should take care of himself and the woman should never make any comments. I've had enough clients, you read in the book, the client whose wife left him because she found him masturbating and felt that she, he should have given that up and that he really didn't love her. Well, it's not true. You know, the, the more you are aroused, the more you feel it, you don't need your partner constantly to want to be there with you to satisfy that. That's okay. Masturbate. You know, sometimes I would hold my partner in my arms when I didn't feel like I was up for intercourse and just hug him and maybe kiss his ears and know I knew his body. And so what I would do is that if I felt like it. If I didn't, he didn't get upset with me because we communicated well with so each other. What, That's what the, you're really saying is talk to each other, communicate, find out what yeah. each other likes, be honest with each other, and keep yeah. the communication open. That's really what you're saying. Oh, definitely keep those lines open. Yeah. And yeah. notice when your ego is in the way and when you find yourself, because that's due to probably inadequate information and, you know, uh, or false information. A man isn't supposed to be ready at the drop of a hat just because a woman is. And likewise, and vice versa. It's really about individual feelings and at the moment, you know, and, and being able mm-hmm. to talk about it without accusing each other of what's exactly. wrong. You know, going in that direction, it's a waste of time. This has been really so enlightening. I I really appreciate you coming on. Love to have you come back. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cheryl. And again, the book is An Intimate Life, An Intimate Life, Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Surrogate Partner. And um, Cheryl's message is let's love more, be more intimate, and communicate better, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Cheryl. Thanks so much. Cheryl Green, author of An Intimate Life. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. And do get the book uh, on Amazon.com. Or is there a a website as well? Uh, Well, no, they can get it at Amazon. I've been talking at a lot of uh, small bookstores that have it. I, I love supporting them. And I appreciate Amazon.com. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Yeah, check out some of your local stores. All right. Thanks so much. Again. All right. Thank you again. Bye. Stay stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now.